All right, Brady, you want to come up and read the scripture this morning? Word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we come humbly before you again this morning looking at this passage. Father, we just ask that you, you help give us understanding because it is a very difficult passage. Our finite minds cannot simply fully grasp your infinite wisdom. But we pray that your spirit would give us greater understanding this morning. And I pray that the words I speak be not of my own, but be of you, of you. for it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning makes the third week we're dealing with this particular passage in Romans 9. And we've been going through it line by line. I've, I've had, there's several different verses here, but we've been dealing with them line by line each week. And, and last week we looked at God's sovereign choice between Jacob and Esau. Before that, we looked at Ishmael and Isaac, and then Paul shifted into Jacob and Esau. And the basis of that shift, or the reasoning behind why he did that, was to take away this idea that there was a difference between Ishmael and Isaac, because they were only half-brothers. So that would have been an argument that people could make, well, you're dealing with Ishmael, and his mom was a Gentile. And so Paul knew that that would come out, so he used Jacob and Esau, who were twins, in the same womb at the same time, had the same mom, had the same father. And so he wanted there not to be any doubt about God's sovereignty in his choice. As I told you last week, we have to keep God's sovereignty and our responsibility in attention so so often. Because when we don't, we tend to fall into the extremes. And the extremes can be extremely dangerous. And they can be bad things and cause bad things in our lives. There are a group of folks out there called hyper-Calvinists. And they believe that we don't do anything. That we just sit on our hands and we don't have to do anything at all. And God is in control of it all and He works it all out. Another term that is commonly referred to them as are the frozen chosen. They do little mission work. Missions really isn't in their vocabulary because of that. And then we have the other extreme, which is the Armenian extreme, that believe we have 100% control. That we are our own destiny makers. That we have 100% freedom of choice and we choose and God just kind of sits back and 
wishes that we would choose him over Satan. Equally as dangerous. Equally as dangerous because ultimately what happens in those situations is the person becomes the one that gets the glory, right? As I said, I have a bad habit. And if I'm in control of my destiny, then I'm going to turn around when I get to that end and say, I deserve to be where I'm at, and I'm going to usurp God's glory. So we see both extremes, and they're both wrong, but yet they're both right. What a conundrum, right? So we, it's important that we, we keep them in tension, and we know that God is 100% sovereign in our salvation, and that we are responsible for accepting or rejecting the gospel. And we will be held accountable based on our responsibility. And God is glorified based upon his sovereignty. How it works out is way above my intellect and something that that I can't comprehend and can't fully understand. But I will tell you this, it's absolutely based on God's word. And we're right in the middle of it right now in Romans 9. And if you try to deny it, And get through this chapter, come to me, because I've been wrestling with it for almost 30 years. And you cannot get through this chapter and not see God's sovereignty in salvation in each one of our lives, in everybody's life, for that matter. Kelly last week did a wonderful job after the message of posting a meme on Facebook that said just what I I said. God is sovereign, but we are responsible. And that's absolutely correct, and that's the way we should look at that. God works, and I I think this is where some people fall short. They don't keep the tension that this topic deserves. God works in and through us, okay? That's how God works. He works from the inside out. So if you look at missions, God's just not going to wave a magician over Africa and say, boom, they're all believing. No, He works missions through us, through the desires that he creates within us. That's how it's done. And and I think those in the Armenian camp believe incorrectly when they look at at Calvinists and say, how does it work? Well, it works in that God is, is an incentive maker within us. He makes us desire. He helps us to desire. He encourages us to want to go share the gospel with those people. That's how he does it. He doesn't just call them out of the sky, boom, you're a Christian. doesn't happen that way. So when we keep them in in tension, we keep the two sides in a constant tension, we can understand that God accomplishes his will, his perfect will, in and through believers. That's how he does it. He also accomplishes it in and through non-believers. Judas, perfect example. Was it in God's plan For Christ to be nailed to that cross, absolutely. He used Judas' own evilness for him to carry out God's will and his perfect plan whenever he uh, disobeyed Christ and turned him over to the authorities. With that, we're going to look at God's purpose this morning. And we're going to look at specifically verse 11. And again, he's talking about Jacob and Esau, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election 
might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So we have the key words in here, God's purpose of election. So Paul is talking about, as I said, God, or God choosing Jacob over Esau. And we see that before either one of them were born, before they had done anything good or bad, God makes this choice. And we see in verse 12 that he tells Rebekah that the older will serve the younger, which is not usually the way that things happened. It was usually the other way around. So the question is why? Why does God do this? Because I've asked that question, and I'm quite certain those of you that are following me ask that question as well. Why did he and does he do this? Well, we have the answer in verse 11, and it's still not an easy answer, but we have it. In order that God's purpose of election might continue. So I want you to understand what it is that we have the privilege of looking at this morning. We are allowed to look behind the scenes and see God. Get a glimpse of why He does things and the manner in which He works. These are heavy passages. These are heavy passages because we're dealing with the mind of God. The same God that literally took his fingertips and cast galaxies into existence. We are looking into his mind this morning. He is the creator of the universe and the very being that controls our salvation. God's purpose of election. The words are translated a little differently than what, probably what's proper, but they do it so that we understand it a little better. It's actually God's electing purpose. God's electing purpose. And for those of you that are a little unclear about what I'm talking about and electing, we're not talking about voting. I'm talking about a choice. A choice that God is making. God's purpose of choosing. So the purpose of God is partly defined by His election or His choosing. And when we think of the word purpose, hopefully other scriptures come to mind. And we're going to spend the next few moments dealing with those other passages and looking at them. But one of those is Romans 8.28. We've just covered it a couple months ago. We just went through it for all of its beauty. For all things work together for Good to those who love God and are called according to what? Purpose. I'll make sure nobody was snoozing on me. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So we want to know what, what that means. What does it mean to be called according to His purpose? Being called, we talked about that as well when we were going through Romans 8. It's a step in that unbreakable chain of salvation of 8.30. You remember we went through all that. He predestines, he calls, he justifies, and he glorifies. Unbreakable chain. He doesn't lose anybody in the process. He doesn't predestine and then lose somebody before they get saved or lose somebody before they make it to eternal life. It happens and it is an unbreakable chain. So... Let's continue to try to unwrap this and wrap our minds around what it is whenever we're looking at God's purpose or His purpose of election. 
2 Timothy 1.9, Paul writes, Who saved us and called us, we see the calling there, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. There's quite a bit in this passage. So we see His calling, and that calling was not because of works, but because of His purpose. So when did He do this? When did God set into action His purpose? Before the ages began. Before the ages began. Before He spoke something out of nothing. Before He flung the galaxies into the universe. He did this. And notice who He gave us at that time. Who does this passage tell us He gave us at that time? Christ Jesus. I mean, Jesus always has been and always will be and is I am. But it wasn't as if God saw that that original plan in Eden wasn't going to work and now we've got to regroup things and we're going to make Jesus a part of this plan. No. Jesus has always been a part of this perfect plan before the ages began, before the foundation of the world in eternity past. So it's already done. We're just living it out in real time. Thirdly, I want you to notice, but because of his own purpose and what? Grace. Purpose and grace. Those words go together quite often, and we'll see it again here in a moment. Let's look at another. Ephesians 1, 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. You recall the last one we were talking about being called. Now he goes to having been predestined according to what? The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So we saw that, that our calling falls under the umbrella of his purpose. And here we see that even the predestined nation falls under the umbrella of his purpose so notice also paul says according to the counsel of his will so you were predestined according to his purpose who works all things how according to the counsel of his will We have to understand that he doesn't rely upon anyone or anything in coming about this purpose. That it is God and only God. This is all him. He's not dependent on me. He's not dependent on you. Nor is he reliant on anything we do. He's not going to wait for us to do something and us to bind him based upon what we do or say. You know, that's the unique thing about it, and that's why I want you all so much. Don't rely on outward things to think that you've got salvation. We think, well, I made a profession, and I'm good to go. You're not binding him. Do what you want, but he's God. He sets the standard. What you say isn't going to amount to a hill of beans if there's no relationship there. 
It's just like being baptized. You think, well, I've got to be baptized, and so now I'm good. No, you're not going to bind him. Because you think that you're going to do something to make sure he's got you in that Lamb's book of life. No, he will be bound by no human. He is God, and he does all things according to his will, and his will alone. So that's a danger we can fall into sometime. He doesn't react. He's always active, and he alone is decisive. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Getting back to this idea of choosing. Even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. Folks, these verses are the same as what we're dealing with in 9, right? I hope you can see that. You've got Jacob and Esau. Before they did anything, he chose Jacob over Esau, not because of what they had done, but before they had done anything. Same type of mentality, only it applies to you and me. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, in eternity past, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love, he predestined us, you see that word again, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Here it is again. We get a little hint of the reason or what his purpose is in verse 6. He predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. So we're getting somewhere now. We're getting there. We're, 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 we're starting to understand why God acts and how he acts. All predestination, all calling, all redemption is for the praise of his glorious grace. For the praise of his glorious grace. That is the reasoning behind it. Let's jump back to Romans 9.11. Though they were not yet born, so we have all of this again, done nothing, either good or bad, in order that his purpose of election might continue. So what is God's purpose? Everything that God does, election, Predestination, calling, justifying, sanctifying, glorifying is for his sovereign purpose to be known, to be enjoyed, and to be praised. We are to know him, to enjoy him, and praise him because of what he is, who he is. Not just because of what he does and has done or will do. But because of Him, that's the whole reason behind everything that we see. We are to know and see how infinitely glorious and beautiful His purpose is and in turn see Him in that light. That's His goal. 
That's his purpose behind all of that. But what do we do? When we read this passage, what do we do? Do we focus on how beautiful Jacob is and all the benefits and everything that God bestows on Jacob? No! Who do we turn on? Who do we focus on? We focus on Esau, right? That's our sinfulness. That's our inability to think like God. God's saying, we're all a bunch of Esau's. But in order for him to be glorified, he chose a bunch of Jacob's. Just like last week when we looked at Malachi, that first chapter, and everybody's saying, where are you, God? What have you done for us? We don't see you anywhere. I'm like them many times in my life, and God forgive me. But he says, have you seen the Edomites lately? I have destroyed everything that they have. They think they're going to rebuild it and they're all going to live. They're not. I'm going to destroy it again. You are blessed because I've not destroyed you. And it's not because of what you did. It's because of my glorious grace. That's it. That's it. We, we, we focus on Esau. We focus on those that haven't. And don't properly glorify him for the grace that he sheds to everyone that believes. We have no birthright to anything, folks. And as I said, that's why it's hard for us, living in this wonderful country that we do, to not think Esau deserved it just as much as Jacob did. God's economy is a little bit different. God's economy is a little bit different. It's a lot different. When we see how infinitely glorious his purpose is, we want to glorify and praise God. And that's his reason behind it. We need to see and know that, and then he will be praised. Psalm 66.4 All of creation will sing your praise. We have a difficult time with it, don't we? We do. Even as a Christian, we have a difficult time Praising God like we should. That, that, that becomes a difficult part of our lives whenever we interact with God, glorifying Him and praising Him for who He is and who He is alone. The unique thing is, if not for God's sovereign, perfect purpose, He would not be praised. He wouldn't. There would be no praise from mankind but for his sovereign, perfect purpose and the election that flows from it. We praise God not because we think he is worthy to be praised. We praise God because of his sovereign, electing purpose. That's it. Because as fallen human beings, we don't think anybody or any entity is worthy of praise. We don't. Ah, correct me. Brad, I'm surprised you didn't pick it out on me. I think I'm worthy to be praised, okay? So there is one entity that believes that. Yourselves. Myself. That's what we do. So, but for God's sovereign electing purpose, the only person in our lives that we think would be worthy of praise would be ourselves. That's the bottom line. So as I said, we have 
difficulties, even praising him according to his sovereign and electing purpose. Because even in our minds, as I said, we want to focus on Esau. We want to tell God that he's wrong, that he's not fair, that he doesn't understand human beings. We can jump back to Job. And we can ask Job how that all went with him and went for him. It didn't go well. And we're going to see it not go well as we go forward in the next few verses. Because God questions the questioner, so to speak. So it's not because of works here, but because of him who calls. Why does Paul bring this up again? Because he just said they were not yet born having done nothing either good or bad. And then he says it again, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So why does he say it again? Well, it's another anticipatory argument. If he would say, not, even though they were not yet born, you run the risk of someone saying, well, it was based on what they were going to do after they were born. So God looked down through the annals of time and was able to see that Jacob would serve God and Esau would not. And so that was the reason he chose. That, folks, is the reason he's got this last passage in here. It's to take away all doubt. Not because of any works. He didn't choose Jacob because he did something for God later on. He takes works totally out of the equation, and he does so by mentioning it again here in verse, at the end of verse 11. Normally, though, when you look at this, it's not because of works, but it's because of what? We have a works, and what's the other term that we use? We contrast each other a lot of times. Grace or faith, right? Faith. It's not by works, it's according to faith. And so we, we kind of contrast those two. But he doesn't say that here. It's according to God. It's according to Him who calls. But you see, faith requires a response from me. It's contingent, in essence. It requires me to do something, for me to believe. Elections above that in the pecking order. It is at a much higher level. This idea of faith and my repentance and my belief is, is way down the list. And he wants to make it very clear that even though I may respond at some point in time, it's not because of that response, it's not because of what I do, it's because God says it. It's because of him who calls us. Election is not dependent upon my believing. My believing is dependent upon election. Faith is just the starter, the fuel source that God uses to bring about my belief. So election encompasses faith. It, it is an umbrella of faith. It's not dependent upon any man. It is only dependent upon God, and He is the one who calls. <clears throat> if God, as I said, was dependent upon man, then He loses His sovereignty. If He waits around and, and says, well, if you get baptized, then I'll give you eternal life, then we bind Him. We bind Him, and He loses his sovereignty. 
Application. How do we apply these heavy passages? How do we deal with these heavy passages? First is what we shouldn't do. First is we shouldn't focus on Esau. Because when we focus on Esau, we steal from God the very reason that he elects to begin with. We steal from him the glory and praise that he deserves for choosing Jacob, for choosing us. And it's really quite humbling when we look at it. I mean, we don't do anything for it, nothing. We don't do anything good to deserve what he gives us, nor do we do anything bad. But he just, he just gives it. But there is an obligation we have, and what is that obligation? For his praise and his glory. That's it. That's it. To understand God and praise him for what he does, not discredit him for what he hasn't done. Oh, how we lack. Oh, how we don't take advantage of opportunities we have to truly praise God. How do we spend our time praising God as opposed to seeking things that are of ourselves? How's our time spent? I mean, He chose us for one purpose. To praise Him, to glorify Him, to see and recognize all of His glory. How many hours of the day do we spend doing that? As opposed to turning to ourselves, our own selfish desires and things that we enjoy and and we want to do besides glorifying God. We don't glorify Him for what He has done. We glorify Him for who He is. He is alone deserving of glory. The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to what? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So you get the inverse of why we were created, right? We were created not to selfishly spend our times here and, oh, by the way, eternal life is a subscript to our lives. Our relationship with God is a little thing that we, we, we put in a corner over here and everything else was selfishness. It's not why we're created. We're created to glorify Him. And so that's the application that we have here this morning is to ask ourselves how much and how often and to what extent do our lives glorify Him? It saddens me when I have a funeral and there's nothing to mention about the glory of God and that relationship with God between the person, but, oh yeah, they were a member of the church. You're going to bind him? Where's that going to get you? For the very reason you were created, failed. The life was spent glorifying yourself. And you wanted to bind him by doing a little bit 
and the rest you're going to live on your own. It doesn't work that way. He elects us, he predestines, he calls, he sanctifies, he glorifies. Let us glorify and praise him because he is God. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we've dealt with a very difficult passage this morning. And I'll be the first to confess it's a passage that I wrestle with and that I can't fully comprehend and I can't understand. But nonetheless, it is your word, and I abide by that, and I trust you in that. Father, we ask that you help us to better understand as we take it and apply it to our lives, that we see that your purpose in creating us, your sovereign purpose, is to be glorified, for us to know you, for us to see you in all things, and for us to sing your praise, to glorify you at all times in our lives. Father, help us to be better stewards of that eternal life that you've promised us, that, that you provided for us before the foundation of the world. Help us to dedicate our lives to you such that we won't be ashamed of our lives when we stand before you, but it'll just be a continuation from one day of praise to the next. May our lives reflect your glory, and may you receive it through all that we do. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.